as I was getting ready to share on David, I just thought, wow, this is it really exemplifies David's heart. He lived for the audience of one. His passion, his purpose, his motivation uh, was the Lord and the Lord's glory. And just to gaze, he says uh, in Psalm 27, verse four, one thing I have desired to see the, to see the Lord in his beauty and to dwell in his house forever. So this was a man who was obsessed with God's beauty. And uh, what an amazing uh, character to study. And so uh, I've just, these were, I've listed five things. There's so many more. Uh, there's great, much greater teachers than me that have spoken on the life of David. So I'm just going to share on this read through. These are, these are five things that really hit me again with what, with, as we're reading through his story on this read through. Um, obviously, it's not comprehensive or exhaustive. And at the end, would love to hear some of your thoughts on what's uh, impacting you as we read about David and his journey. Um, but one thing I want to start with is just um, he, I love the story when, when he is just a shepherd boy. And he's the youngest. And the first lesson we learned from his from his life, we haven't even met him yet, but we learned something about the Lord. And, uh, you know, Samuel comes to anoint David as the future king of Israel. And he goes through all these seven brothers of, that uh, are Jesse's sons. And none of them are the king. And, and Samuel's confused because he thought for sure, well, this is a good looking man. This is a tall man. This is, you know, surely he's a great warrior. This has got to be the one. And the Lord just says, uh, I look at the heart. I don't look at the outside. What a stunning statement. And how encouraging is it for, for all of us that the Lord knows our hearts and he sees what's inside of us. And obviously David develops this throughout all of his Psalms. Um, this idea that God search me, know me. He knows my heart. He's knit me together. Uh, the intimacy that David has in his relationship with the Lord is pretty inspiring. But you just have to think about this youngest son who is discounted by his own family. Um, he's out in the sheepfold, which is considered to be kind of the lowest job on the in society at that point. But he is doing something out there that has caught the Lord's attention. The way that David must be laying on his back, looking up at the stars, praying, worshiping, the way that he's caring for the sheep. We know he's defending the sheep. He's got some kind of a courageous, bold, um, you know, he's a fighter. He, he grabs the bear, he takes the lion, and the Lord, by the Lord's help, he, he kills them when they come to take the sheep. So David's moving in, in some amazing character traits already when we first meet him as just a young boy. Um, but I love that, that the Lord says, I, I don't look on the outside, I just look at the heart. And, you know, human beings in the world, we always look at the outside. We always look at the shiny, flashy, beautiful, uh, wealthy, the, the, the golden baubles. Um, and yet the Lord is looking at what is pure and what is holy and what is good on the inside. And so that's one of the lessons from David. But my first point is uh, that really has hit me in this read through in his life. Point number one, David was a man of great humility. Um, and you see this coming up over and over and over again in his journey. Um, he just continues to maintain a posture of humility. He's not moved by position or power. He's not impressed with being a king. 
Um, we haven't gotten to this part of the story yet, but when, when Absalom revolts and tries to take away the kingdom, David actually is like, he's just going to walk away. Um, he was not going to take the kingship. He wasn't going to take the throne by force. Even when Saul was placed in his hands twice, um, he maintains uh, a posture before the Lord of he's just going to be faithful and allow the Lord to move in his life. He's not motivated by things that motivate most men and women in the world. He's not motivated by power and the lust for control. He's free from that. And you just see that over and over again in his life. And I think this is exemplified in one particular verse that I have there in the notes, um, 2 Samuel 5, verse 12. And I love this verse about David. In fact, it's, my, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And the context is he's just come into the fullness of his inheritance as king. He's, he's uh, been, you know, he's moved up from Hebron where he was just the king of Judah. He's now been uh, established as the king over all of Israel. And a foreign king named Hiram has now built him a palace. And David is actually kind of emotionally entering into the reality that he's now, it's now happened. He was anointed, I don't know, 17, 20 years ago, something like that. Um, after all of this trauma and drama and turmoil with Saul, and then for seven years, Saul's house was still uh, resisting him, and they were still, you know, Ishbosheth was the king of Israel. David's been through quite a lot at this point, but he's been given a palace, and he moves in, and, and it's kind of like he's emotionally entering into his calling. And this is what 2 Samuel 5 verse 12 says, David realized he was blessed for the sake of Israel. David realized that he had been blessed for the sake of others. Somehow David connected that his life and calling was not about him. It wasn't about him being the superhero, the hotshot, the anointed man of God. He was anointed and blessed for one reason. It was for the sake of other people. That's such a key principle in leadership, period. Your gifting, your abilities, anything that God has given you or me is not for us. It's for other people. God is wanting us to be a conduit of blessing in the lives of people around us. And David understood this. I think that's why I love this verse is that at the moment where he could have been like, dang right, I'm now king. Everybody get out of my way. This is about me now. I paid my dues. Saul was chucking spears at me. Now I'm the big man on campus. I've got the palace. I've got everything I want. Now I'm established and it's about me because I'm awesome. He didn't do that. He did the exact opposite. He said, wow, everything I've been through has been because God, who is the shepherd of Israel, wants to shepherd Israel through me. And so in that, in that respect, the humility of David to recognize that he's just a servant. He's a, he's a humble servant leader. And he, he, he was wanting to basically um, shepherd Israel into God's presence. And so he didn't make it about himself. He made it about the Lord and he made it about other people. And it's one of my favorite things about David. So point number two, uh, David was a man of steadfast loyalty and honor. Um, so as you look at this tests that David goes through, they're really severe. I mean, he is running from Saul. He's hiding in caves. Uh, this is his father-in-law. Talk about, you know, in-laws and having problems 
with in-laws like David's father-in-law is chucking spears at him, trying to pin him to the wall and kill him. And David is, is ducking spears and, you know, trying to just survive. Uh, and two different times, he actually has the power to kill Saul. And he doesn't. Why doesn't he do it? Because he says, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. That's how much David feared the Lord. And that's, that's the extent of his loyalty and honor to the Lord and how he, he extended that to other people, even his enemies uh, that were there to try and kill him. He didn't take matters into his own hands. You got to remember the scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And even when Saul does end and the Lord removes him from the, from the board, uh, David is weeping for Saul and for Jonathan and for Saul's family. And so there's just something so pure in this man's heart that he sees the very best in people, even when they're not treating him the best, <laughs> far from it, in fact. And so David is a man of honor, a man who is just steadfastly going to be loyal. And he's, when people are mistreating him, he's not getting caught up in their, in, in, in tripped up by their junk. You know, I heard a pastor one time say, you know, honor people for who they are and don't stumble over who they're not. I think that's really wise. None of us are perfect. We don't need to get ca caught up on and just become easily offended. And David is just not an easily offended bro. He's, he, his heart and his, his gaze is on the Lord. And in fact, in the story with Ziklag, when he's hiding with the Philistines and everything falls apart, and his own men want to kill him because wives and children have been kidnapped. David has nobody on earth at this point. He is utterly alone. And who does he, but, but he's not. And this is, this is the lesson of David's life. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He just has this ability to one moment be in life's greatest trials and pressures. And in the next moment, he's in the presence of the Lord and he is strong in God, uh, despite the severe tests that he's going through. Uh, he remained loyal to his covenant friendships and his allies. It's interesting, um, Abner is fighting against him when Saul was alive. Abner was the general in Saul's army. But after Saul dies, Abner is, is still working with Saul's house to uh, bring about the dynasty to stay in Saul's house. Um, some issues happen, and basically Abner comes to David and says, "Look, it's time to make this transition." Um, you know, he was dishonored by Ishbosheth, and so Abner switches loyalties in the story. And you know, David knows, you know, Abner. He's family. He is, I think, he is uh, Saul's brother, or he's Saul's uncle, or he's related to Saul, which means he's related to David because David is Saul's son-in-law. But instead of spurning Abner, who had been really against him, he, he is willing to entertain and just honor the ally and, and work with somebody who's, who's going to be trying to become a man of peace. It's interesting. Um, another great example of, of his loyalty is with Jonathan, obviously. These two men have such an inspiring friendship. Their hearts are knit together after uh, David kills Goliath. The Bible says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. After that, it's just, you know, I don't know what that means, but it's just the depth of connection between these two men was very deep and powerful love between these two brothers. And they exchange items, which I'll come back to here momentarily. But after Jonathan tragically dies, 
you know, David honors Jonathan's house. Um, you know, we're going to read about how he treats Mephibosheth and people in Jonathan's house are welcome to David's table. David was a man who understood God's heart for covenant and, and covenantal love. And so, you know, in this covenant that they cut, and this is in 1 Samuel 18, um, they exchange weapons, they exchange robes, and they exchange belts. And I've shared this before, but it's, it's just worth repeating because, you know, we don't understand covenant in our modern day. And so it's interesting what it meant in the ancient world. If you were to exchange robes with someone, you are declaring over them that um, when they come to your house, they will be treated as you are treated in your house. And so Jonathan was saying of David, you're not a shepherd boy anymore. When you come in, you're going to be treated like the firstborn son of the king. Um, you're welcome to come in, make yourself at home. Um, you have my blessing and you, you will be treated as I am treated by my people. What a stunning statement. And as we think about the new covenant, it's true that our filthy rags of sin have been exchanged for Christ's righteousness. He's placed his righteous robes on us. And there's been an exchange there, a covenantal exchange by the blood of Jesus, that you are now treated in the Father's presence. You are treated as if you were Jesus. What a powerful covenantal truth that's built upon these ancient practices and covenant. Uh, when you exchange weapons, you're saying, um, your enemies are now my enemies. When you're under threat and you're under attack, you have my sword, I'll come to your defense. Um, and so when we think about what we have available to us through the blood of Jesus, now our enemies are now God's enemies. And we can enforce by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we can take ground in the kingdom. And we don't have to uh, be under subjection of demonic powers in our life. Uh, we, we have the power of the name of Christ to, we're kind of like deputies. He's the sheriff, we're the deputies. We can enforce his will in our, in our sphere of influence. Um, and his enemies now have become our enemies, by the way. So because you have the name of Christ upon you, his enemies are now, you're now a target. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. But there's this exchange of weapons, and that's what that means in, in the covenant meal there that, that Jonathan and David are, are enjoying. There's also the exchange of belts, and this is a symbol of strength. Your, your strength is now mine. And so uh, in the exchange there, it's basically the belt. That's what it symbolized, it's strength. When you're doing something, you're bringing in your harvest, you're putting up a barn, um, you're putting extension on your home, I will come and help you. Uh, my strength will come alongside to assist you in your, in, in your journey and in your responsibilities. And so, you know, you think about what Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in our weakness, Christ is made strong. Um, and so he's replaced our, our weakness is not our portion. We can call on through covenant. We can call on the power of the Holy Spirit to assist us in any and every circumstance. And so David was a man who just understood covenant, and he understood loyalty, he understood honor. Um, so he, he remained loyal to his allies, like Jonathan Abner, but he also, he even remained loyal to his enemies. You know, Saul and Absalom um, are examples where he, they were treating him like he was an enemy, but that was never his heart to them. He remained open to reconciliation, he made, remained open to a restoration of those relationships because he was a man of honor. Um, and I wanna take a, a little sidestep away from David really quickly and just, just follow up on Jonathan 
really quick on his journey. I love Jonathan. I think he's an amazing character as well in the story. Um, but I think one aspect that's not necessarily does not spelled out in the Bible per se. This is just my opinion, but I think it's an interesting thought. You know, in First Samuel chapter twenty-three, Jonathan is he's in a really bad place because his father wants to kill David, but he loves David, and so he's kind of between these two warring parties. And his duty is going to lay with his father, but his heart and his, you know, his joy and his delight is in David. And so in, in 1 Samuel 23, he actually prophesies and he says, you're going to be the king in Israel and I'm going to be right there at your side. I actually believe that that, is, that was the Holy Spirit. I think that's God's calling on Jonathan. I think Jonathan was prophesying and uh, unfortunately... He was not able to disentangle himself from a relationship that was complex, uh, that he, he felt like he had to be there for his dad. As the eldest son, his place was there. And so he ends up dying on Mount Gilboa with Saul. Um, and I think it's, you know, I've, I've heard a, pa a pastor call it unsanctified loyalty. I like that, that phrase, that Sometimes in our human dynamics, we can be more loyal to, loyal to a human relationship than to the Lord. And that's really difficult. I'm not saying it was an easy decision for Jonathan to make, but I think that he knew that his place was actually as David's right-hand man. And I think God had that portion for Jonathan marked out. And Saul's darkness and, and, and Saul's tragic fall actually led other people into very difficult trials. You know, as David recognized, he was blessed for the sake of other people. The, the, the dark side of leadership is you can lead people into bad places if you are not fulfilling, if you're not walking as a servant leader to bless them. Saul's walking in sin. He's walking in his own understanding and his own jealousy, and he's, he is tormented by, by a, a jealous spirit, and that is affecting his whole house. And unfortunately, it, it's, it capsizes Jonathan's calling. So there's a measure of honor in, in what Jonathan did. He died with his father. Um, the measure of honor and respect there. Um, but I think his place was there at David's side. And when you fast forward into the story a little bit with David and Bathsheba, this is where I think that becomes really even more tragic. Because there's another character in the story that begins to, to rise up in the absence of Jonathan, and that's a man by the name of Joab. We've already read about him in our readings. He, he's the one that kills Abner. Um, he murders him. And Joab ends up being a murderous man. He ends up actually murdering Absalom. And he actually, David is the one in, this, in the situation with Bathsheba. He turns to Joab to actually have Joab position Uriah in the battle so that he dies. So Joab just has no morals. But what would have happened if Jonathan had been alive? And had been, instead of Joab being the second in command in David's army, what if Jonathan had been there? Would things have potentially played out a little differently? And my personal opinion is that they, they very possibly could have. Um, Jonathan could have been there to check David when David, where the Bible says, and, you know, in the time in springtime when kings go to war, David was walking around on his palace roof. I think Jonathan had the, had the, the traction with David to be able to go to him and say, look, brother, you're sending us out. We're not going to go without you. And in a way, he could move David's heart in a way that Joab never could. And so, unfortunately, I think Jonathan's life is a, is a tragic one. 
but it just is interesting to think about how we're all connected and your calling is not just about you. Your calling is important for other people. Um, you can flank them. You can protect them. You, when they're going through hard times, your voice can be uh, critical in their journey. And if you're not there, you know, that means that somebody might be going through something difficult and, and you're not where you're, you're not positioned where you're supposed to be. And they're not flanked in a way that they could have been. And so I, I think in, as we talk about in the New Testament, so many scriptures are talking about maintain unity, pray for each other, you know, bear each other's burdens. Um, and so we live in an in a American society that's very individualistic and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and close your garage door and don't let people in. But the truth is, is that we really, really do need one another. And that's and that we're a family. You know, uh, that's why Jesus taught us to pray to our father. So. Anyway, just a, just an interesting note there on Jonathan's life. I love the story of Jonathan and David, and I just wish that it ended happier than it did. Um, but there you go. Uh, point number three: David was a man of bold courage. Um, he's just fearless. You know, he's fearless with the with the bear and the lion. And I mean, what a stunning scene! I, I think we're over familiar with the story of Goliath. Um, we've we've heard about it since you know Sunday school. But I mean, this is a if one of us actually saw a man who was 10 feet tall that was carrying around the amount of weaponry, I mean, just, it, it's a stunning, intimidating, really horrifying picture of this ter terrible, you know, champion that's there. And here comes David as a 17 year old. And, you know, the whole army of Israel is quaking in their boots and they're melting away from who Goliath is, this, this, boastful, arrogant, proud um, Philistine. And there's David, just this bold, courageous, fearless, and he's not confident in his own ability. That's the amazing thing is even as a young man, he understood um, that this is about the name of God. This battle belongs to the Lord. This uncircumcised Philistine who's cursing God and cursing us, God is going to do, he's going to, God is going to hand this man into my hands, just as he handed the bear and the lion into my hands. So David's boldness and, and courage is not centered in his ability, his strength, his skill as a warrior. He's not a warrior. He's a shepherd. He has no military training to fall back on. It's pretty remarkable that Saul even lets him go out there because the whole, uh, all of Israel is at stake in that battle. If, if David falls in that battle, all Israel was going to be slaves to the Philistines. So that's quite a bet to place on the hands of somebody who's never seen any military combat. But that's really what happens. Um, and we know the story of how David steps in, but he's just fearless in the presence of his enemies. He knows who God is, and he knows uh, that he knows that God is going to deliver Israel's enemies into his hands. Um, so he's also courageous in another way. Um, he is fearless as a passionate worshiper of God. You know, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's bold. Because the world mocks and scoffs and says, Jesus never existed. He's a myth. He's a fairy tale. You Christians are a bunch of goody two-shoes, whatever else, fill in the blank. Mocking, scoffing. And Paul is like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. David's not ashamed to worship God boldly and courageously. He is a priestly king. He's not a priest, but he's a king 
who is embracing priestliness. He's an example. Like we come back to that verse, Isaiah 55, 4. God set this man as an example, as a witness to the peoples in the earth. Why? Because he's raising up worshipers that would worship God in spirit and in truth. And David is a forerunner of that reality. David is, is moving in something um, well beyond his years. He's touching a realm that I, I think it was very, very, very few people moving. And it's this courageous, abandoned worshiper of God. You see it when he's trying to bring the ark in. He's, it says they're dancing before the ark with all his might and his, the people. He's, he's leading Israel into this worshipful relationship with the God of Israel. And he's unashamed of what people think of him, even when his own wife, which we haven't gotten to that part of the story yet, but Michael is mocking him because, you know, well, what a great show the king of Israel put on for his people today. It doesn't move David's heart. What people think does not move him. He's not motivated by the fear of man, and he's not moved by the praise of men. He is centered on seeking the glory of God and worshiping his Lord. So he's courageous in that way, too. Uh, number four, David was a man of peace. I've already touched on a little bit of this, but he, he sought re reconciliation when he could um, with his enemies. Anyone that wanted to make peace, he tried to do that. Um, he did not return evil for evil. Um, he used his position as king to gain consensus and bring unity to Israel. It's interesting. It's a small verse, but it's in the, in the part where the, the story where he's talking about bringing the ark back and bringing it into the city. It says that he met with all the leaders. And he, he basically cast vision that inspired everybody. He included everybody in the conversation. He wasn't a dictator. He wasn't a, a tyrant. He wasn't, uh, you know, an autocrat. He, he was a communicator. He was talking to people and he was speaking to their hearts and he was speaking from his heart. And he was, this is a good idea. It said everyone was excited about this idea. Everybody got on board with it. Everybody knew that this was the right thing to do. And they were with David. Um, I mean, what, a, what an amazing, you know, man. And he's bringing peace to Israel. He's bringing unity. Um, he's honoring Saul and Jonathan's house. Um, at the same time, he also knows when to bring the sword. You know, there's a couple of interesting examples that we read, we read about on this portion where um, the one, the, the man who killed Saul, uh, you know, David kills him. He, he just you know, capital punishment, you reached out and you touched the Lord's anointed your own out of your own mouth. You've confessed what you've done, and I will require your blood from you. And he, he does the same thing with the two assassins that kill Ishbosheth. And they thought they were doing David a favor. They thought they'd, they'd move a, make a political move that would benefit David and they would position them in his kingdom. Um, and, you know, hey, we, we just killed your enemy. So, you know, Happy days, right, David? And David said, how, how can you expect me to honor and bless you when you've reached out your hand against an, a man of honor and killed him in his own bed? And now I'm going to blot you out. I'm going to remove you from the board. Um, so in one sense, there, David is a man of, of great peace, and yet he's, he's a man who, who understands the, the principles of the kingdom. And if people that were there were going to move against what the Lord was doing, David would, would challenge and not allow and tolerate. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a pushover, put it that way. 
David held his ground and he remained loyal to the Lord first and foremost as a king and as a judge. And then uh, finally, point number five, David was passionate about the presence of God. And, you know, this is what's going to be coming as we read about from this point forward. I'm not going to develop the tabernacle of David right now, but that was basically David's governmental strategy for his, for his reign as king. He ends up being king for 40 years. Um, he brings the Ark of the Covenant in, and there's no temple yet, and the tabernacle of Moses was divided. You know, you have, you have where the Ark of the Covenant is called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could be in that one day a year. David sets up what's called the Tabernacle of David, where there is, there's just the, the Ark of the Covenant, and there's thousands of singers and musicians that are on a rotation, worshiping and singing in God's presence. And he funds, he basically funds a worship movement. And in, in lieu of what most kings do is they have their, their political leaders and their war cabinets and their, you know, the different branches of the government that, that he's consulted by. He may have had those things, but, but first and foremost was the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, it was his strategy. He would inquire of the Lord at every step of the journey. And you see that over and over again. Lord, should I go up and pursue this enemy? Would you give them into my hands? Yes, David, I'll give them into your hands. Go. He, he doesn't run ahead of God. He doesn't want to go without God's presence. And he only knows, this is why he's, he's such a successful leader. He only knows one thing, and that is I, I need to be with God. And so when God gives him power, how does David use that power and influence? He uses his power and influence to bring the presence of God into the whole city, into the whole nation. Because that, that's who David is. He's a worshiper. And he longs to give God a dwelling place. We're going to read about that in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. He says in, in one of the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 132, he says, I will not give my eyelids rest until I find a habitation for the God of Jacob. David becomes obsessed with dwelling with God. Now, that's also God's dream. God wants to dwell with man. You know, when we go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are walking with God in the cool of the day. Um, you know, God's, when he rescues the people of Israel, he want, he's dwelling there in the camp with them. I mean, you could see the, the Shekinah glory of God over the tabernacle if you were camped there in Israel. Like God is right there in your camp. And Moses is meeting with them face to face. Moses' face is shining at certain points. And I mean, it's what a, what a stunning reality. But why is God doing that? Because he loves his creation. He wants to dwell with humanity. And at the end of the story, that's, that's what happens. Um, new heavens and a new earth. We don't need a sun or a moon anymore because God is dwelling with humanity and he is our light. His very presence is our light. And David is obsessed with the same dream. God, you want to dwell with me? I want to dwell with you. I want to build you. You've built me a house. I want to build you a house. What can I do, Lord? I want to build you a house. And he, that becomes David's dream. He's obsessed with it. Solomon is the one that ends up building the temple. But the Lord is so moved by David's passion that uh, he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, David. Um, 
you will always have a descendant forever on throne on the throne. That's really where the Messiahship of where, where Jesus is written into David's lineage is right there. As David is moving as a worshiper, Lord, I want to dwell with you. I've got to, I've got to find a place for you to be. I want to be with you all the time. That just moved God's heart. And he was like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You'll have a descendant forever on the throne, David. And that, wow. That what an honor, you know, that that Jesus, the son of the living God, is call, also called the son of David. That David can write Psalm 110 and say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Like the Lord, the Father, said to my Lord, Jesus. David is listening in on these phenomenal prophetic conversations in the, amongst the Trinity. I mean, it's pretty mind-blowing. But God's dream has become his dream. And all David wants is God's presence at this point in the story. Now, we know that things take a turn uh, as we move, in, move down the line. He's not a perfect man. Um, but he is, he is a passionate worshiper of God. Um, and he consistently seeks his strength, counsel, joy, delight, and his peace in God's presence. And I just want to, you know, finish off here tonight. Um, we're going to spend a few minutes just, just talking, and then we're going to have communion. But um, that's the message for us. The, the key message of David, why is David the example in all the earth? Because his, his desire to be in God's presence is something that God wants to see multiplied in his disciples. And you can hear Jesus saying in John chapter 15, abide, I'm the vine and you're the branches, abide in me, remain in my love, remain in my word, let my word remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So this is the very invitation that God is issuing to humanity. And David was a man that said yes with everything in his heart. He said yes to that invitation. And I think that's why God elevated him. He put him through, you know, really, really challenging circumstances to refine him and then set him and, and David led Israel into its golden age. Um, again, not perfect. We can look at his mistakes and, and some of his limitations and weaknesses and sins, but there's a lot that is in this man's character and his life that is to be emulated and celebrated. So I'll pause there and just ask a couple questions for conversation. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, in what ways does David's life and example, as we read through this, how does his life and example inspire and impact you? Um, I'd love to hear from some of you what you have been taking away from this time in the scriptures. So feel free to unmute and jump in. One of the things that you said, Jed, that really um, impacted me tonight was talking about unsanctified loyalty um, with where it um, pertained, pertained to Jonathan and his relationship with his father, Saul. That's powerful, really, to just um, that whole, even though, like, as you pointed out, it was not... Um, scriptural, the, the idea of what you laid before us, but we can see just knowing that we have free will. There's God's perfect will for us. Obviously his plans for us are good. Um, 
and, and everything is for our good, for those who love him, but we have free will in this and it can alter our course. And God will certainly come along to our mess. And when we submit to him, he'll turn things back around, but it won't necessarily be what was originally intended for us, as you pointed out. So that's, it's really interesting. The unsanctified loyalty um, thought that you, you threw out to us um, because you know, it really has to do with uh, not being divided with our loyalty when it comes to God with anyone, you know, not parents, not spouses, not children, you know, that we really should take that to heart and meditate upon that. You know, do we, who do we side with, you know, when there are um, issues that could cause compromise and comfort conversation or compromise in our witness or who do we side with? I don't know. It's just made me think tonight. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, David's life though, to me has always inspired me um, from the very aspect of what you mentioned about him being a worshiper, um, because I too have that in my heart to just worship the Lord. And so he, you know, he's written so many of the Psalms and you just hear him pouring out this intimacy. Um, and so it's, it's been an inspiration for me my whole life since I was young reading that to realize that I too could meet with the Lord, you know? And so, and it's been something to, like you said, that he's a model and an example for us of what, you know, of some, of someone's heart, who's not perfect, but someone's heart who is just so um, dedicated to the Lord that the Lord favors him so much because of it. The Lord loves him back and the Lord blesses him. And it's like, you don't want to, you know, set that as the goal, just receiving the blessing, but it's the realization that it moves God's heart when we have a heart that's responsive towards, because really it just comes down to what Jesus said, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, you know, and then love your neighbor as yourself, but, but loving him first. Um, and that's what David did, he, you know, but you pointed out so many great qualities of David, um, that we should truly take, you know, really meditate upon, um, as we even maybe go back through this video or just process what you've said tonight. It's beautiful, beautiful. What you've shared. I'll just say one thing about unsanctified loyalty. Um, you know, Jesus says that where he says, if you, um, if you're not willing to leave mother and father, brother and sister, for my sake, you're not, you're not worthy of being my disciple. And these are hard sayings, you know, I'm not going to ever take anything away from the scriptures or add anything, Lord, help me. But um, that's a tough one. And there's a lot of times and that that's when that button gets pushed. I mean, that's a deep uh, bond in the heart that God actually, you know, puts that in family. You know, we want to to be close to our relatives and, and our people. And yet the Lord says, I've got to come first in that. And so I think sometimes he, he pushes um, some buttons in families that, that causes some conflict and some um, upheaval at times. He allows it in order for those priorities to become clear uh, in our journeys and for us to make some tough decisions at times of like, is it more important for me to obey God here or am I trying to please my mom or dad or am I trying to please my spouse or as you pointed out, Chris, it could be any, any person and the Lord is going to allow circumstances to kind of set around that issue and, and make us make a decision. Is he, does he really come first? Um, as Jesus said to Peter, 
John chapter 21. Do you love me more than these, Peter? What are the more than these in that story? They've just done a miraculous catch of tons and tons of fish. He's with his, his brothers and his uh, fellow disciples are out fishing. You know, I think the Lord is saying, Peter, do you love me more than this miraculous money? I've just given you a huge catch. It could be a lot of money. Do you love me more than your vocational work? The blessings that I can give you, do you love me more than just what I can do for you? Do you love me? Do you love my hand or do you, are you seeking my face? Do you love what I can do for you? Am I a genie? You know, you, you rub the lamp and I, you put, put some coins in, pull the arm and, and out comes blessings. And that's really what this is about. Worship is you're manipulating in order to try and get me to do something that you want me to do for you. Or do you, do you really love me, Peter? Do you love me more than your brothers, your, your human relationships, your colleagues at work? Do you love me more than your ministry calling? Um, I think the Lord just gets right into where we live and, and challenges us in a loving way to, to clarify for us what, why are we doing what we're doing? So anyway, just a few other thoughts. Um, yes, the, the whole premise of David um, being in the worst possible situations, um, the hardest times, terrifying times, and then turning and praising and totally trusting God. Um, that to me is more than words on a page. It is real. And anybody that hasn't tried it, they need to try it. I uh, laid in a hospital bed two years ago, waiting on a heart. And I had a lot of complications. I was on life support and a lot of weird things happened. They called, my daughter called me anomaly mommy because I had so many weird things happening. But every time I got to absolutely the lowest point and I would pray and I would say, I know with their, without a shadow of doubt, there is purpose in this. I would just love to see a glimmer of what that is. And every single time he brought somebody into my room that I got a chance to talk to that I would have never got to if I hadn't been in that position. And he was glorified. And we would praise God in that room. And my daughter would come in days and if she saw me at the lowest points, you know, uh, just in so much pain and, and suffering and weakness and couldn't even pick up a bottle of water and she would start playing the praise music she knew I loved and it would be a different day. So if anybody out there is struggling with anything, I promise you, you cannot be scared at the same time you're praising God. It don't go together. And that's all. Thank you. Bless you, Sherry. Amazing testimony. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us in those places of desperate need. And, you know, Sherry, you're just 100% right that as these things happen, and again, David is the great example. I mean, how many Psalms, even as we're reading through the chronological, you know, it's, it's tying the Psalms in chronologically to when David is writing them. You know, this Psalm was written when he had to go and fake insanity uh, on the run down to the Philistines and spittle was running down his beard, you know, like what, yeah. 
he's praising God. He has he finds time to write a psalm after he pretended to be a madman in the house of his enemies. Like I, you know, we can read these verses and sometimes they can just be words on a paper, but when you really think about what's happening circumstantially, like the reality of just going into worship and that's all you have in the world is just God. And it's like the song that we started with, you know, it's just you and me. Yes. Just you and me. That's it. But I, because I have you, I have everything I need. Amen. Terrence, were you, uh, I saw you were unmuting. Do you want to jump in, bro? Yes, please. And uh, it's just so nice to see you again, Pastor Jet. It's been such a long time. I'm so happy to see you. And I thank God, I personally thank God for your return to us and for the fruitful journey that he sent you through. And I'm just grateful that God was able to use you to be a light uh, wherever you were, Pastor Jet. So uh, thank God for being back with us. Uh, but most importantly, what I took from uh, David, um, which is what Jesus really addressed Peter when the disciples, um, I think it was Peter, when Peter asked him, what does it mean? Uh, to do the work of God. And Jesus told him to do the work of God is to believe in the one uh, whom he sent. Amen. And so I see Paul here remembering his first love and keeping his affection on God. And that is so important for us servants of God, because if, if at, at any point we don't learn to keep our first love for the Lord and our affection on him and uh, by any means get sidetracked by maybe the acknowledgement of men and, and the praises of men and, and look at that to be satisfied by it, then what typically happens is if those people no longer uh, praise you or worship you or if they fail you, what will happen? You'll be discouraged by the work you did. Well, to me, David was a very good example by, of someone who kept his affection of, on God and never forgot that God was his first love. I mean, we look at uh, Revelation chapter two. Uh, one of the churches that God rebuked was the church who, you know, who did not remember uh, his first love. I don't remember exactly what church that was. It's because they, they went ahead and, you know, focused on the things that uh, uh, men were doing and they strayed away from, from the first love. And to me, David was just an amazing example of, of, of how important it is to remember your first love, that no matter what goes on, like this challenge that uh, David faced with, with King Saul, he did not waver because he knew that God loved him even through those circumstances. You know, so I'm just so uh, uh, encouraged uh, by by. Uh, Paul, I mean, I'm David's fervent love for the Lord, and 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 he didn't give up even when things uh, went far south, even when he sinned against God. He did not forget that at the end of the day, he loved God more than these, as you just mentioned, uh, Pastor Jed. So, Amen. I just wanted to share that. And bless you, man. It's good to hear your voice. Great insight, as always. Um, yeah, it's really interesting when you consider Saul, to your point, Terrence, you know, this was David's focus, but he's contrasted with Saul. And, you know, Saul was, if you remember the story, when he's going to make the sacrifice, he's waiting on Samuel. Samuel's running late. He's waited for seven days. And it says the people begin to, to move away. And then so Saul took matters into his own hands, and he was going to be the one to offer the sacrifice. 
And you contrast that with, with who David is, that, you know, David is a man who's going to wait on the Lord and he's not going to move forward until he knows that the Lord has spoken. Saul is an example of the leader who's in the flesh, who is going to, well, people are starting to leave. I better do something to get them to stay. I better take matters into my own hands. And this is what really juxtaposes these two leaders and why God upholds the one and, and spurns the other. And, and to your point, Terrence, you know, that it all comes back to our motive, like that first love. And are we, are we willing to just lay down our agendas, lay down our thoughts, lay down our, the way that we think it should be, and just wait until we know that the Lord has spoken. That's a discipline, but it comes from a place of, of intimacy and a desire to be in God's presence. Does anyone else uh, have something burning on their heart to share with us tonight? Feel free to unmute and jump in. Well, I just want to say this is Chantel, Pastor Jed, and I just want to thank you so much. I've missed you. My heart loves each and every one of you, and I love you, Pastor Jed. I'm so grateful to hear your voice again. And I wanted to say to Sherry, God bless, God bless you, Sherry. Uh, I can only imagine what you must have gone through, and I will pray for your beautiful heart. And um just grateful for your story. Uh, <clears throat> but David, I, the Lord has used Psalms to teach me, to teach me um, about him. And I love David's heart for the Lord. I feel like I've loved the Lord since I was a little girl and chased after him since I was a little girl. Uh, but, you know, as I got older, learning who he was, the character of God. And I just, David inspires me so much. And what God was teaching me through the storms that I don't know if I, I knew as I was younger was the praise to vocally say, um, I praise you, Jesus. I praise you. You are worthy to be praised through all the pain. Uh, my life has not been easy, um, but God, and through all the pain, just saying out loud, you are worthy to be praised. I don't understand, but you do. And I just thank you for it. Uh, in 2018, I was in a car accident. At the same time, my father's life, his health went down. So I was thrusted into caregiving. At the same time, my mother lost her house. At the same time, I was being abused and my business was stolen at the same time, my relationship, and I could barely get out of bed, but I never gave up and I ran after the Lord and I completed all of my duties, all of my work. And I look back on that and it was only through the strength of Christ that I was able to do it. But now what I learned through all of that was the praising him and he is worthy to be praised. And it's not for him, it's for us. He needs nothing, it's for us. And so David's heart inspires me and I want to be like David. And I love the way that the Lord lets him hear conversations in the holy heaven. I believe that I have heard 
things like that before and didn't understand it. And so I just, I'm just moved by David's heart. And that is um, what I would long to have and the heart of Jesus, but to be able to worship and always worship in spirit and truth. So praise the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. That's all I have to share. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Chantel. Amen. Jed, you were talking about David's heart for the Lord and how he just wanted to, to dance and be in his presence all the time. And I can say I certainly understand that. And I, reading the Psalms um, for Monday night, for, for today's study, I, I read it early. I read it yesterday. And um, I even talked to Krista and I was telling her just how I wept reading that. And so I can... I can feel every word that David is saying to the Lord as he um, is saying that the Lord is his rock and his fortress and his deliverer and his strength and all the things that David is saying. And I can just, I said it so loudly and it was so deeply rooted in me, everything that David was saying that I felt like that I was saying everything to the Lord. Um, and I wanted to share Friday night my husband and I had a date night and we were just going to go out and do a little bit of shopping. Um, and we had one place in mind to go. And then uh, just all of a sudden, I just felt like there was another place we needed to go. And I wanted to go to the little furniture store and, um, you know, really I had no real business to do there or whatever. I just, I felt like in my spirit, that's where I was supposed to go. And, um, so as we got there, um, a sales lady came up and was talking to us and we kept trying to wander away from her because we really weren't looking for anything in particular. But then um, my husband did say to her, he said, I'd like to get my wife a um, a bookshelf to go in our bedroom to keep all of her books on. And, and it just opened up an amazing conversation as she followed us around the store, just, just asking us different things. And before I knew it, um, and, and I like 30 minutes, the store was going to close, but before I knew it, we were sitting down in chairs talking about Jesus. Um, she asked what the bookcase was for. And my husband said, she loves the Lord and it's for her books. It's for all of her stuff. And, um, and then we started talking about where we went to church and things like that. And, um, and just the words were coming out of my mouth that I was almost like trying to hold back thinking, what in the world am I saying all this for? But I ended up just sharing my testimony with her. Um, I sat in the store with her and I wept and it just, we had such a God moment. It was exactly where the Lord put me that night. He knew that he was going to detour me to experience him in a public place that I wanted to share Jesus with someone. And I just was so filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm just, and then as I read the Psalm for, for today, I just was overly filled with his Holy presence. And um, so I'm just so, so grateful and so thankful for all that he has done for me. He has, forgiven much 
you know, of, of, for me, he has done so much for me that I want to give him every ounce of me. And I want to live for him forever. I mean, I don't want to be without him for a second. So anyway, that's what I wanted to share. I love it. Thank you for that testimony. It's so encouraging, Teresa. And I, you know, I think we can all when we think about those moments that you're talking about, when you know that you know that God is on the scene and is touching you and working through you, it's a it, there's no high that compares to it. Right. And that's the satisfaction. That's where I think David's like, he's talking about pleasures forever in God's right hand and the river of God's delight. Like David was moved by this, the reality of God's presence that was just a, it's a supernatural high. Um, we're getting ready to take communion. Um, so it's about, we've got maybe time for one more person. If anyone else would like to share, I don't want to uh, cut anybody off, um, but we are going to, this is a communion uh, evening tonight. So any last keep, thoughts on David? I keep, I keep saying I wasn't going to say this, but I feel like I have to, because I have to shame the devil. And um I sometimes suffer with depression and I quit taking my medicine a while back because I know that that's what God wanted me to do. But today I felt depressed and I went out and I got in my car and I just started praying and crying out to God and I heard him say, worship me. And so I did. And I thought about David today when he would worship God and how he worshiped him. And by the time I got back to the house, I was just, the depression was gone. So I, I agree with Sherry, what she said about praising God, because that is where we find our peace. I don't find it in that bottle of pills anymore. I find it in him. And uh, so I just want to share. Hallelujah. I just want to thank you for sharing that, Deb. That oh. is awesome. Praise the Lord. How good is he? A living testimony true witnesses. Amen. Garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Praise God. It's real. You pressed in, Deb. Just want to bless you. And uh, thank you, Lord, for that testimony. Bless you, Deb. Well, let's, let's, uh, if you have your communion elements, go ahead and grab them. And we'll, we're going to do this. And then I'm going to, I don't know if Chris, did you get that second song? If you can have that queued up too, I don't, I don't know if you saw that or not, but um, I'll play a song over us as well, um, just as, as a reflection. But, um, you know, we're just coming out of Passover. I, I was, I love, you know, communion was instituted during the Passover. So for me, you know, Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so for me, Passover, the, the symbol, symbols of, of Jesus as the lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. He is the unleavened bread. This is my body. Take it and eat it. This is my blood poured out for you. Um, it's just so full of meaning and truth. And I think the Lord's Supper for us as believers is, it's like a spiritual shower. Whatever we're going through, it's a time of intimacy with him. We need to forget what lies behind 
and move forward into what lies ahead in him. And we can just step into his presence with all that's going on in our world and allow him to meet us there. You know, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so he said, come to me when he's holding up the, the Bible to the Pharisees, he's holding the scriptures. And he says, you think in these you have life, but these testify of me. Come to me that you may have life. You know, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you think you see, but you're blind. You think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you're well-dressed, but you're naked and ashamed. Therefore, come to me. And, you know, the verse that we started off with in Isaiah 54, uh, you know, whoever's thirsty, let him come. Who's hungry, let him come and eat. You don't have to have money. It's free. The Lord's invitation, he's calling to whosoever will to come to him. And so the Lord's Supper is this coming into his presence and meeting him and a spiritual shower. What's going on? If it's sin, we need to confess it and put it under the blood. If it's discouragement, just to meet with the Lord and give him the heavy burdens um, that we're carrying and leave him at the cross. So communion is a gift. It's a, it's a time of intimacy with the Lord. And it points us back to the past. You know, Passover points us back to 3,500 years ago that there was a God, God delivered the people of Israel out from the bondage of slavery. And like I just said, it, it points us to what's going on in our present world right now. God didn't just deliver Israel from slavery. He's delivered us, you and me personally from our sin. And he wants to meet with us tonight when we eat this in his presence, his spiritual food. And then it points us forever in the future. As Jesus said, I won't drink of this cup again until it's consummated in my father's kingdom. And so one day we are going to have this meal with him face to face. We're going to drink from a cup together at a table in the wedding feast of the lamb. And so it ties past, present, future together. It ties our hopes in him, whatever we're going through. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you're like me, I've got a bunch more aches and pains. The older I get, I can just, Lord, I can't wait for my resurrected body. Where we're, we're together forever and there's no more pain and there's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. Um, that's what our heart, he's calling our hearts to be set on him to remember that, that as David was so passionate about dwelling with God forever, this is how we can, one of the ways that we can abide is just coming into his presence and saying, Lord, yes, I want to be one with you. And so go ahead and take your bread and just want to pray a prayer. Lord, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Jesus, we acknowledge you are the bread from heaven. You were born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And it was your body that was broken for us. And we thank you that you were willing to suffer and die a humiliating death, a criminal's death on the cross for me and for all of us here. And yet you did it for the joy set before you that we would be one. So we thank you tonight for your body. Blessed are you. Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine.
And Lord, you said that it was your blood that was poured out for the remission of sins and to ratify the new covenant. But as we celebrate what we have in you, you've made us one. As you and the Father are one, we are one. And we are one together as believers, as disciples. We're one by your blood. We're a family. So we thank you for that truth, Lord, that there's deeper things that are true about us and our identity than our sins that we committed. That we are all fearfully and wonderfully made in your image and that you're bestowing identity and dignity to us as we walk with you. And we're grateful for your shed blood. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And then as we close tonight, just want to play this song over us as we reflect on what the Lord's been speaking. You saw me first And you let me I was at my worst It's a moment when I heard you say my name It's the first time in so long I'm not afraid I'm not afraid You are the voice that calms the storm inside me Castle walls that stand around me this time my guardian was you You are the light that shines in every tunnel There in the past you'll be there tomorrow All my life your love was breaking through It's always been you
the voice that calms the storm inside me Cast the walls that stand around me All this time my guardian was you You are the light that shines in every tunnel There in the past to be there tomorrow Bless you all. I'm just going to say a word of prayer. Thank you again for coming and being part of Bread for the Journey. And Lord, we just want to exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the lessons that we can draw from scripture and from stories like David. Lord, as we continue uh, to walk with you, just pray that you would teach us, instruct us, Give us your wisdom, Lord. Teach us your ways that we can have your thoughts. That uh, even as we heard the testimonies tonight of people experiencing you in, their, in just the, the high that comes from being in your presence and overcoming challenges, overcoming um, pain, overcoming sorrow. Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for that. That is the truth. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your goodness. And I thank you for these brothers and sisters and pray your blessings on them and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Have a great night. Shalom, shalom. Amen. Amen. And I do want to remind everybody, if you're able to join us for prayer on Wednesday, we've got four times morning, afternoon, late afternoon and evening. So you can find it on the website, tourofTruth.com. And of course, breadcrumbs daily for your readings to accompany them. So we'll look forward to seeing you next Monday. God bless you all. God bless you. Good night. Thank you. God bless you. Good night. Good night. Shalom.